Hey everybody, you're listening to Living Theology with the Luby Brothers, a podcast dedicated to understanding and living out the gospel. The gospel that brings us to God and transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are your hosts, Doug, Greg, and Mark Luby. We are continuing our series on common challenges for Christians, and today we're talking about fear. Fear is something that the three of us can absolutely relate with in our own lives on a number of levels, and I'm sure that you as a listener can relate to, because fear is a commonly shared experience that we all have as people. And so, Greg, would you share a little bit about what what are some of the causes of fear in our lives? Yeah, this is a good question. I think that it's important to realize with fear that it's often tied to something much deeper than it might look on the surface. And so if you just hear what people are fearful of, sometimes it might be easy to be dismissive and think, okay, well, that doesn't really make a lot of sense or that's irrational or that's probably not going to happen, which a lot, of, a lot of times our fears don't come true. And so in understanding, though, what the root of the fears is really important, because if we get to like, why, why am I fearful? What am I fearful of happening? Then usually we can understand it a lot better. So, for instance, one example I've used before in my own life is uh, a fear of failure, something that just can be pretty present pretty constantly. And as I think about that with ministry, it can really have a big impact if I'm operating out of fear of failure, just in the way that I see ministry and a fear that I'm going to lead this ministry and run into the ground. And um, then that can start to impact my actions and I can operate in anxiety. And at the core of that, though, I've been working through that a little bit the past couple of years. And I've realized that a lot of what that's tied to is a lack of feeling of significance that my life has meaning or value. And that's one aspect of it, but also just another aspect of it is not having God's approval. And so I feel like I'm not doing enough for God. And so a fear of that and the gospel profoundly impacts both of those concerns that I have. And yet that fear though, that I've kind of dealt with a lot of my life, I'm starting to understand some clarity of why, what's underneath it, what's driving it. And so that'll be one of the ways that we just talk about that today is how does our understanding of God, how does our understanding of the gospel address what's underneath the surface driving it? Yeah, that's helpful, Greg, because I think you're absolutely right. that There's often things underneath, and that can be insecurities about ourselves, things that we're afraid of being true about ourselves, ways we're afraid of being exposed. It can be traumatic experiences that have happened to you, someone you've lost, a way you've been wronged, hurt, a way that you've experienced suffering in the past that you don't want it to happen again. A really clear example of this would be, it may seem irrational to be afraid of a plane crashing uh, because you say, well, the statistic odds of a plane crashing are really low. But if you've been in a plane crash before, it's much more understandable why you'd be afraid of that happening. Or I think even just recently being in Boulder, um, live right outside Boulder and Broomfield, and we had a shooting at one of our local grocery stores, King Supers. And even as I walked into the grocery store the days after, not in that grocery store, but the grocery stores in the area, there was a sense of um, heaviness, weightiness of a tragedy that had just occurred where 10 people had been killed. And it's understandable when you've had past instances that you become afraid of something. 
And part of what we're going to be talking about today as we approach this topic of fear is we're not going to address this topic and say, hey, you don't need to be afraid of anything because nothing bad will ever happen. That's uh, not going to be our approach because it's not realistic to life. The reality is the things that might happen that we are afraid of might happen. That can happen. Now, there's things that cannot happen, we believe, in Christ. But some of these things of death, pain, suffering, loss, grief, they're realities for Christians. So how do we then take those realities of the, the things that may happen, the tragedies that may happen, and not live a life consumed by fear? And there's a great quote from the Archbishop Leighton of the 17th century, and this is kind of a paraphrase of what he says, but he says that the fear of God is a fear that drowns out all other fears. And I love that idea that the fear of God is a fear that drowns out all other fears. When we fear God, it's like every other fear is submerged under the water. And at the peak of our mountain is God and fearing him. If you're afraid of God, if you fear God, how can you be afraid of death? He holds power over death. If you're afraid of God, if you fear God, how could you be afraid of man? God holds power over man. If you're afraid of God, how would we fear our weakness? His strength is sufficient in our weakness. This is the idea that as we fear God, as our fears are ultimately elevated to the top, to the peak, to God himself, all other fears come into their right perspective under him. So that's a good concept, but it's a challenging one also to wrap our minds around. Doug, there's a great story that you have that gives us perspective on fear in seeing God rightly. Um, Would you be willing to share that one from 2 Kings 6? 2 Kings 6 is a story that mom and dad use in their Trust in God workshop. And that workshop includes several different Bible stories of people trusting God and seeing him rightly. To have a big view of him that allows us to see even the big things around us as small in comparison. And in this story, Syria and Israel are at war, but Elisha is God's prophet and he's been telling the king of Israel the battle plans of the king of Syria. So the king of Syria decides, I need to go kill Elisha. And he sends out his army after them. The next morning, Elisha's servant wakes up and goes outside and sees all these chariots and this army outside of their home coming to destroy them and he's scared he goes inside and tells Elisha what's going on and Elisha turns to him and says do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them if you're Elisha's servant you're probably a little bit confused right now because it's you and Elisha against this army but then Elisha prays to the Lord and asks the Lord will you open my servant's eyes And the Lord opens his servant's eyes. He goes and he looks outside again and sees this whole army of the Lord's angels also present. And he has peace. His circumstances haven't actually changed. The army of Syria is still out there wanting to come and destroy them. The army of Syria is still far more powerful than Elisha and his servant. But the servant can now see The Lord is on my side, and these armies of angels are here to defend us. And because he begins to see with spiritual eyes the reality in front of him, he can have peace and hope in the Lord, because what looks impossible for him to deal with, impossible for him to have any solution other than defeat and destruction before the army of Syria on his own, 
is no longer impossible because God is the one there defending them. And his fear can then subside because he sees who God is and God is present with him. Yeah, so seeing God rightly is really the perspective that we want to have, like you're sharing in that story, that when we see God rightly, that doesn't mean that there isn't danger or that there isn't real risk, danger before us, but it's an understanding who has ultimate control. And so thinking about that, that's where we're going, but what are some of the ways that are negative ways that we often try and deal with our fear? I'll share one of them and I would say that a negative way we can sometimes try and deal with fear is just by saying, I'm going to be in control and being anxious. So we'll, we'll talk about anxiety actually likely in our next podcast. But one way we deal with fear in our lives is we say, I'm going to put everything in my control. I'm going to be a control freak. I'm going to take it all into my hands. In that way, I can assure the right outcome. And you become anxiously, you know, taking, taking, taking control, control, control trying to make sure that nothing bad happens. But anxiety can be a really dangerous path that you go down because you can't actually control things like that. You don't have the sort of power. So that's one negative way we can try and deal with fear. Another one I'd think about is just positive thinking. And there's absolutely value in thinking things that are positive but when I say positive thinking, I mean just blind assurances like, hey, it's it's going to all be OK. Everything's all right. And having no real foundation for that, um, there can be often just a positive thinking that that's really baseless and is optimistic. But it's uncertain why that optimism should be there or if it should be there. And I think that, that can also be a way that we try and deal with fear that's sort of uh a band-aid on a gunshot wound of sorts. It's not actually getting at the heart level. But what would you say are some other ways that we can try and deal with our fear? Another way that we can try to deal with fear is just not taking risks and trying to mitigate risks. And one example of this is somebody who might be afraid and have a fear of rejection might end up not asking someone out on a date because they're afraid that they could get rejected by the person. And that's one that can be a fairly common one, just fear of rejection by others. And so that fear would keep you from taking a risk where you put yourself out there and experiencing the result of what that could turn into. Another bad solution to fear is to just deny that you're afraid or to be ignorant of any fears that you have or just unaware which is often a challenge for me. So when I came home from being overseas, I was talking to a counselor and he said, Doug, it sounds like you've got a fear of failure and of rejection. And I said, no, I don't think that's me. And then I was listening to a song by Blue October and really getting into it. And often when I'm not sure what's going on with my emotions, if there's a song that I'm enjoying, it's likely expressing an emotion that I'm feeling. And the whole song is about fear. It's literally called fear. And so I began to wonder, am I afraid? And then I saw, yeah, I'm actually afraid of rejection and afraid of failure. And being unaware of fear is actually a negative thing because the consequences were still playing out in other people's lives. So since I was afraid of being rejected or of failing, I was putting a pressure on other people to not make me feel rejected, but I was just unaware of it happening. So it's not as if because I didn't directly see it that I wasn't 
being influenced by my fear. I was just unaware. And it was kind of miserable to begin to see how much fear had a grip on my life. But far better to actually see it and be able to take it before the Lord. Yeah, there's a lot of ways that fear can play out. And I mean, I think we we see it in our own lives and our culture of the anxiety that we experience as people, the, um, like we're talking about avoiding risk, avoiding difficult things, just being unaware. There's so many ways that fear can have an influence upon us and control us, whether we are actively aware of it or not. And so it's really helpful to become aware of the things that we are afraid of. And we're going to switch now to just talking about how does the gospel actually address fear. And we're going to continue with our framework of head, heart, and hand. So head being what is the truth that we need to know about fear, heart, how do we experience that in our hearts on a real emotional, practical, real level in our lives? And then hands, how does this get lived out in our lives? How does it play out? How do we bring the head knowledge, the heart knowledge to lived out experience? And so let's start with head. First one we'll start with for that is Proverbs 1-7. And Proverbs 1-7 is really interesting in the way that the Psalms, the Proverbs talk about fear because it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And throughout scripture, we see this consistent theme that wisdom begins as we begin by fearing God. That that's actually the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. The, the beginning of true understanding is to see rightly God and to fear him, to fear him, to love him, to walk with him. Uh, Psalm 2 talks about rejoicing with trembling. And there's this idea of this fear of God that is supposed to grip us, but isn't actually put in opposition to experiencing life with God, isn't put in opposition to loving and knowing God. First John 4.18 does such a beautiful job of depicting this. It says, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So there's both a fear of the Lord, knowing his greatness, knowing his power, but then there's also 1 John 4.18, which tells us the love of God that we exist in as believers casts out fear, specifically of punishment. We don't need to fear that God is going to reject us and push us aside if we've come to him. One way you can think about this is, that God is the shelter in the storm. Christ is the shelter in the storm. If we run to him in rightful fear of wrath, of punishment, we can also be confident that he will deliver us from that wrath, from that punishment, that he will protect us, provide for us, and be there for us. Yeah, we want to have a big view of God and see him rightly. So I think of the story in Mark 4, where Jesus calms the storm and the disciples, many of whom were fishermen are on the sea and a storm shows up and they're terrified. They've been on the water before and they realize this storm is too great for us. They go over to see Jesus who's asleep and ask him, don't you even care that we're about to die? So they're really doubting his character because he's there asleep. But then he wakes up he speaks, rebukes the wind and the sea, and it all calms down. And what's fascinating is that after this, the disciples don't go just into this state of peace, but Mark tells us that they're even more afraid. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
And there's something that they're not quite getting yet. That Jesus is even greater than the wind and the sea. They're still yet to really understand who he is as the Messiah, as Lord, as the one who is their God and their Savior. But they're beginning to grasp he's actually even bigger. And for us, one of the big things is do we begin to see that God is actually greater? So for mom and dad, this was a huge thing as mom was going through chronic neck pain after the car accident back in 1995 and really wrestling with who is God in this and through that pain beginning to see the Lord really is bigger and he's in control can we actually trust him and it's astounding now to see the influence that that's had on our whole family of trusting in a big God through the pain that's come in that situation and obviously the the head and the heart are intertwined. Doug, like you're sharing of the confidence that we have in this big view of God. Greg, would you be willing to switch us more over to the heart as we talk about Romans 8 and just the confidence that we have as we look at Romans 8 that God is going to be working for our good despite, like Doug's saying, suffering, circumstances, difficulty, trials. This Romans 8 passage has been a way that I've definitely seen the head and hands heart all tie together and what we see in this passage clearly is that it's not a promise for deliverance from circumstances that are difficult as you guys have just talked about it doesn't say everything's going to be okay it talks about the things that we could potentially go through it says suffering persecution famine nakedness danger sword death or life um, angels or demons things present things to come any powers height or depth there talks about all these things but the context of it is saying that none of these things can separate us from the love of god and through the midst of the circumstances that we go through the greater truth that defines and anchors our lives is that nothing's going to ever separate us from the love of god and even through all of those things the promise that we have through it is that through all those things god works for good so that we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who have been called according to his purpose that's an incredible truth when you think about that for us as believers, that no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, no matter what fears come through, God is going to work to redeem those in a way that is for our good uh, in this life to make us more like Christ and even on an eternal scale in a way that we'll look back and one day be grateful for. And that's such a powerful thing to know because when you think about that, it's like, what can happen that's bad in my life that has power now bad things can happen and will happen we'll go through difficulty and yet through the midst of that this is such an anchor knowing god's gonna work for good through it nothing's gonna separate us from god's love in the midst of it and that just that just roots us no matter what we're going through no matter what we face and i think for me the way that that works is i think about again my fear of failure and the Bible doesn't promise that the ministry that I'm running is going to go really well and be super successful in terms of what the world would call successful. But it does say that regardless of what that looks like, that I'm anchored in God's love and I do have value and worth because of who I am in Christ. And my life does have meaning and significance, not just because of what I accomplished for God, but who Christ is in me. And even if I fail, those failures will be covered ultimately and won't be held against me for eternity or be part of what my identity is because I'm a child of God. It is really 
Sweet. The God has promised that all things work together for good. So that even during those times where we really don't understand it or can't comprehend how this could work for good or what the good is, that we can have a confidence and a hope in him. Along those lines, I'll have Romans 8.32, which says, He, so God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And the point that Paul is making there is, if God was willing to give his only son for us, can't we also therefore trust him to give us good in other things, even when we don't understand it? If God was willing to send Christ to die, of course he will work all things for good. Yeah, I think it's so helpful too because Romans 8, like you said, Greg, it doesn't promise no suffering. If it did, it would be really unrelatable. I mean, it wouldn't be a text we could actually go to when things are hard. You know, if if someone dies who's near to you or if you die, then it's like, okay, well, your fear has been shattered. But Romans 8 promises that even the sword will not separate us from God. It's been said that the Christian life does not promise deliverance from suffering, but deliverance through suffering. And I think in an earthly, like this world sense, I think that's a really helpful way of saying it. It doesn't promise deliverance from suffering. You won't get sick, you won't die, you won't suffer in any way, but a deliverance through suffering that God will actually deliver us through that and that even through those things and in those things those cannot separate us from the love of god those cannot separate us from the hope that we have in christ the resurrection of the dead joining with him in the renewed restored creation and all the just beautiful implications of what the gospel really means for hope on a grand scale one way that we've talked about this together is uh, the idea of our fears and what if like the worst things that could happen to us or be true about us are. And so as we think about maybe fear of rejection by people, like what if you do get rejected by people? Like that's at the core of who you are. That's not your identity if you're in Christ. And so again, there's a greater truth that transcends any of the fears that we go through and even if the worst things that could be true about us or that we fear being true about us are true ultimately the final word on our life is what the gospel says about us and who we are in jesus and that we're a child of god we're loved we're forgiven we're a new creation and that's that's the truest thing about us and so that's uh pretty powerful when we realize that what if the worst fears we have come true or are true about us that we fear being true about us even if that's the case the truths of the gospel are more powerful and they transcend those another verse that's helpful is psalm 56 3 and 4 which is a verse that we memorized as a family around our dinner table so i still remember even the cadence with which we memorize these verses as little kids But when I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Um, Mark, you were saying that we used to say turtle man. Yeah, mom said we used to say, what can turtle man do to me? (laughs) Which is just as terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Which isn't isn't technically the meaning of the verse, though. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Not the exegesis, but the principle. Yeah, the principle is still true that 
We cannot be harmed by any created being. One of the things that I appreciated about that verse is he's saying, when I am afraid, and there's the recognition, there will be things in life that bring fear. And when I am afraid in that spot, what will I do? Lord, would you help me to trust in you, to praise you, to trust in your name, and that you really do have power over darkness, power over the evil in the world, over the things that really could happen that would be terrible. And even just that prayer, Lord, when I am afraid, help me to trust in you. And there's just a sweet encouragement in that. Yeah, so then on a hands level, lived out in our lives, putting legs on it, not to mix the metaphor with hands, but putting legs on it, (laughs) what does this look like lived out in our lives? How do we not live in fear? How do we remind ourselves of these truths? One thing that's helpful for me when I'm afraid is to journal. I mentioned this earlier, but I'm often only indirectly aware of my emotions, and I've grown in that, but it's still sometimes really hard for me to tell. So if I journal and write things down, sometimes it just helps. And I pray, Lord, would you help me to see what's going on? Would you help me to see why I'm afraid, if I'm afraid, if I'm angry, if I'm anxious? So just writing that down and then having somebody that I can trust and talk to, both of those things are huge. I think a big thing we've talked about in the past is talking to yourself instead of listening to yourself and I can't remember where that idea originated. We're probably plagiarizing somebody, but often if I'm just listening to my fears, it's really easy to go to anxiety and be anxious about, um, yeah, if fear of failure and what that can mean about me and lack of significance in my life. But I think when I have those times, I really need to just step back and speak the truth of the gospel and not, not just like, speak it, but like really meditate on the truths of the gospel and what that is and the greater truths again, that I'm secured in God's love and I'm loved by God, um, child of God. Those, those truths need to be the ones that I meditate on and push the others aside as much as I can. And that's a lifelong process. Cause even as I'm saying this stuff this week, I've not been operating that way. And it's, it's a process of growing in that. Yeah. I love the idea. I think we've talked about it in maybe last week, but just having fighter verses. Um, I think that's a John Piper term maybe, but just verses that are, these are what you go to in the middle of fear, anxiety, shame. What are the truths of God? Maybe it's memorizing something from Romans 8, having those. I know that that can just be helpful for me um, to have those truths in my mind meditated on. I mean, it's a cliche, but... There's a reason we've been doing it as a Christian community for thousands of years, and it's praying. <laughs> like, just being alone with God and just pouring out your heart before him is, like, it, that's so helpful for me. And I notice that times when I don't do that, a lot of my emotion and anxiety and fear can be bound up. Um, but it's just so freeing to be able to do that and to be able to just approach God with what we really are afraid of and just to know that he really does care and is there and is faithful towards his people. I think another aspect of this too is just the importance of community and having people around you that can one help you identify what your fears are, but also help speak into those fears. And I've just noticed that as I've talked through and processed 
my fears with people, whether it's my wife, whether it's uh, friends or other believers. It's just really helpful to have people in the process. And I think sometimes in isolation, this can be a lot more difficult and there can just be a lot more room for my mind to wander in directions that aren't positive. Then along the lines too of identifying what those fears are, I think that one helpful thing can also be professional Christian counseling because sometimes we're just not even really aware of what our fears are and why those fears are there. And it can be a big process of really digging into that. And so maybe if you feel like you have fear or anxiety, but can't totally understand what it's tied to, I think that could be just a really helpful part of the process is talking to a Christian counselor or someone who's gifted and being able to help people just identify and draw out what's going on in a deeper level, because that's sometimes just not something we can do completely on our own. And the body of Christ can be a huge benefit to identifying those things. Summing up what we've been saying, there are a lot of reasons for us to be afraid of the evil and brokenness that's in the world and the possibilities for rejection or violence or being hurt that are outside of our control. That if we just look at the things that we see around us, if we just look at the circumstances through our own eyes, it really is an overwhelming world to live in. But we want to have hope as we look to Christ, as we trust in the Father who cares for us because he gave his son. And if he gave his son for us, how much more can we trust him to care for us in all these things? Trust him that he does work all things together for good, even when we don't understand. Jesus promised that in this world we'll have troubles But he also said, take heart because I have overcome the world. So when we're wrestling with our fears, we need to remind ourselves of the character of our God, remind ourselves that he is greater and remind ourselves that he said, fear not for I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand and have a confidence that though I don't have the power to deal with everything around me, the Lord is God, and he cares, and he is good. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope it's of encouragement to you, and that you join us next time for another discussion. The music excerpts for this podcast come from the song Enthusiast by Tours, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. More information can be found in the show notes.